If you're wondering how to make your food budget work each week, then we've got supermarket shopping hacks that can help. Head to witch.co.uk to get answers on how to spend less at the supermarket. When life gives you questions, which get answers. Welcome to the Witch Money Podcast, your weekly hit of money news and personal finance hacks to help make you better off. I'm Rob Lilly, sitting in for Lucia Ariano, and here's what's coming up this week. Now, with all the technology we've got, it's got worse. Because if you have a fire or a flood, you'll have a loss adjuster coming round, take a few photographs, make a few notes, then they disappear, and then it dis- and then you then it's chased the loss adjuster. You don't speak to the same person. It's then handled handed on to someone in in an office who you've never met. These delays can basically mean delayed payment, which which can you know which can put you in a really tricky situation. So one customer that we spoke with had to borrow money ultimately to pay um, a VAT invoice while their insurer was taking four months to turn around that payment. This week, we're back on the case of insurance providers, with a recent witch investigation finding that home insurance claimants are increasingly dissatisfied with the service they're receiving. In this episode, we'll be hearing from those left waiting months or even years for a much-needed payout, how insurers are offering meagre amounts of compensation, and why one in four claims are being rejected, despite clear evidence of the legitimacy of those claims. Now, to talk us through all this, I'm pleased to say I'm joined by which insurance expert, Dean Sobers. Dean, welcome to the show. Oh, yeah. Dean, it's great to have you on. And in a minute, we're going to hear from Marie. Now, she's one of these claimants that has been left less than impressed by her home insurance provider. But first, Dean, what prompted this recent deep dive into home insurance in the state of the industry at the moment? Over the last year, there have been lots of red flags that have just kind of been just emerging about the state of the home insurance market and how well customers have been treated. Um, so the the Financial Conduct Authority, um, which is the regulator, um, publishes statistics about the numbers of claims that are accepted by insurers um, with within different types of insurance. Um, and it looks at 34 um, insurance products. And among its latest stats, quite strikingly, home insurance providers, um, according to this data, accept around three quarters of claims. So basically mm. don't accept about one in four. Um, and that puts them near the bottom, you know, of, of the different types of insurance products. So let's put it into some perspective with car insurance, 99% of claims are accepted. And then also in the summer, the um, Financial Ombudsman Service, which is an impartial organization which which rules over disputes between customers and financial services, published its own statistics that show that the numbers of complaints about buildings insurance are the highest that they've been in five years. So that's kind of like the hard sort of data. But then kind of on top of this, I was prompted to sort of investigate a bit deeper when we began hearing from customers in that were in claims disputes with their insurers you know it really made an impression of how how traumatic in some cases these these kinds of dispute can be it makes total sense i mean you mentioned the stats there dean that are pretty shocking and then as you say these are these are real stories these are real people that are affected and i've got loads more questions for you of course but but let's hear from one of those now actually so we're going to hear from marie last march she suffered a house fire she had dust debris and smoke making much of her home uninhabitable and dean i know that you went to see her so she told you more about her experience with her insurer 
and she starts by telling you how the fire first started. We were testing for COVID and we had a makeup mirror that was a magnifying mirror on the table in the study. Um, the sun's rays at 8.15 in the morning came through the window, hit the mirror, and that set the curtains in that room, the study, alight. Um, the fire brigade, there's a fire station in Storrington, they were here in about 10 minutes. The fire was definitely put out within half an hour, but um, all the doors and windows in the house were open and the smoke damage damaged virtually every possession we had. So in that immediate kind of after aftermath of the fire, obviously you had the emergency services come and deal with it. At what point did you contact the insurer? Uh, that day. That day. The day, um, yes. And what, what kind of support did you get in that immediate sort of period? Because obviously at that point you, you, yeah. you're out of your home. Um, yeah, we, we had to go and stay in... Um, accommodation for two months we moved out for two months but then we moved back in with only four rooms cleaned we had nowhere else to go mm -hmm. um, but initially you know they were just telling us to I don't really know what they told us to do my late husband was handling that but I think we got told we could go and you know stay in a hotel for you know a few nights until we found alternative rented accommodation I'm and sure something like that happened. Did the insurer help you pay for that for that alternative accommodation? Yes, but what really shocked us was that um, we only got we we were staying in not an expensive hotel, just the Premier Inn in Horsham, and they gave us ten pounds a day to buy all our food. So, from from when we were last speaking, uh, my understanding is that um, AXA sent a loss adjuster to survey your property in early April. Is that correct? Yes, and yeah. um, he came about three days, four days after the fire, um, and he was very helpful. Um, he said to us that you don't seem to be the sort of people who want to milk this claim. I think that was mainly because we were saying we, we don't want to throw things away, we'd rather they were cleaned and you know put right, um, we'd rather do that. We didn't, he didn't walk through the door and as, for us to go, oh, we want a new kitchen. He was kind of on to things like that, and I think he believed that we were honest and genuine people. <laughs> so you found him to be quite supportive? Very, very supportive, yes. That's good. Between the end of March and early May, how did you and um, GHG Solutions, the loss adjuster, yeah. kind of work to, well, to begin restoring the house? Well, they sent several cleaning, specialist cleaning companies round to give us quotes. Mm -hmm. uh, some of them, quite frankly, were like vultures. They wanted to take all the tiles up. They wanted to take that big lantern down. They were trying to blow the job up. They were trying to ask us how much insurance we've got so they could make the claim as high as possible. Mm -hmm. um, but eventually, we did find a, a cleaning company, ChemDry, um, which was a lot more reasonable. But we spent the month of April, really, looking for cleaning companies, you know, to come in, yeah. you know, with um, GHG's kind of approval, mm -hmm. you know. And then they started, ChemDry started on, on the 2nd of mm -hmm. May. So it sounds like you were basically managing the, you know, coordinating that, that work yourselves yes, with the insurer in the background, sort of providing, provi approving and providing the money. Was that how it went? Um, well, no money at that stage. No money at that stage, but that was... Laid. That oh, was the, the only money laid out then yeah, was for yeah. the rental 
accommodation. Yeah. We rented some holiday cottages mm. up the road. You know, we didn't go mad. Mm. They were only paying out like £200 a week, which, yeah. you know, but at that stage, it was about to become the holiday season, you know, in, in May and that, and the prices were all going up, you know. So we chose to try and get back into this house. So it sounds like things kind of really began to get difficult um, with between you and, and, and GHG sort of from January, from that point where you you made that um, claim number for, for batch number eight. Yes, claim number um, eight, yes. Yeah, for, for roughly £6,500. Yes, yes. And that money is still to be paid, is that correct? Yes, yeah. it's been promised many, yeah. many times. Yeah. Nothing's happened. You're basically still waiting to resolve claim number eight. Do you know? Do you know roughly how many claims you expect to you expect to make? Well, well, there'll probably be another little claim mm-hmm. for the kitchen, yeah. for the granite and the fridges and the pans that mm-hmm. were all gone. So there'll be a little claim there. But the biggest claim is definitely going to be uh, for all the loss of what went was burnt in the study. Mm-hmm. That's going to be the big one. Well, Dean, thank you so much for, for going to chat to Marie. I know that was for a, a piece for our, our money magazine as well, and you can read more of Marie's experience over on the Witch website, witch.co.uk. You visited her a couple of months ago. What was it like for you, you know, going to see her? As you mentioned earlier, these are real people with real stories that, that have been impacted by these, these delays and, and all the other things that Marie was mentioning to you, the, the problems she's had with her insurer. Well, it was, um, you know, it's, it's always helpful to be able to um, just kind of have that discussion in person so marie's a witch member who got in touch with us um, in the summer and she was basically at her wits end with her insurer her claim which she which she'd made um, over a year ago had effectively been stalling for about nine months she was very frustrated the circumstances of the claim had marked a, a very traumatic period of her life it had been a a fire in the house which had meant that smoke damage had basically um, affected pretty much everything in the house, everything that she she owned more or mm. less. Following lots of work, when I went out to visit her, her house was now livable. However, the claim was complex and her loss adjuster um, had basically stopped communicating with her about when she could expect it to process payment for the portions of this work and consequently when she could move on to later sections of the claim so at that point she was basically over six thousand pounds out of pocket and she didn't really have any idea whether they were going to pay that or when she could expect that to to come well six thousand pounds out of pocket as you say there six thousand pounds is a huge sum for for many many people many people wouldn't wouldn't even be able to have sort of you know, forked out that amount of their own money to to cover some of this work. But shall we start with delays, Dean? I know Marie mentioned how long it had taken for her to receive any form of payment from her insurer at all. Is this something we've seen becoming increasingly common? If we go back to the Financial Ombudsman Service data, it's the type of complaint where you've seen the biggest kind of surge in numbers. So in June, um, their data showed that between... Um, the years 2021 to 2 and 2022 to 3, there had been a 50% increase in the numbers of complaints made about claims delays. One thing that's that's really important to note here is that, you know, delays can just sound like, oh, it's just, you know, it's, it's, it's inconvenience. It's people that are just, you know, kind of annoyed by, you know, by a disruption in service. But 
these delays can basically mean delayed payment, which which can you know which can put you in a really tricky situation. So one customer that we spoke with had to borrow money ultimately to pay um, a VAT invoice while their insurer was taking four months to turn around that payment. And one thing I know that, that did come up time and time in our investigation was something that you described in your mag piece for, for Which Money magazine as obstruction. So this is companies seemingly being deliberately difficult to liaise with. Is that a fair summary of, of your findings? So when it comes to delays, it's hard to tell whether companies purposefully string out the length of time that it takes to process claims. Some customers certainly feel that they're being dealt with in bad faith and that part of this is being done, you know, on purpose. So for example, if you're, you know, if your house is a building site, the last thing you want is delays. You you want the claim to be over. So you actually might be prepared to accept less than you think you're entitled to, you know, if it's looking like pursuing what what you think you should get is going to take a lot of time. But that's that's an impression that you know that that these that these customers have. Um, I can understand why you know why they would feel that way. I, I think the important thing that we need to kind of weigh it against is that in the background, insurers have been massively overstretched in recent years. We've had storms and flooding. We've had cold snaps. We've had hot summers. What this means in terms of claims is it means spikes in flooding claims. It means spikes in subsidence claims. It means spikes in burst pipes claims. So this has really been straining the capacity that insurers have to deal with claims. Now, with Marie's case, she stated to you, and we've already mentioned this, that she'd been left over £6,000 out of pocket after her insurer settled the claim for far less than the invoices that she'd submitted following building and repair work. So again, Dean, are we seeing this when it comes to the amount insurers are paying out? Are we seeing payouts that aren't quite at the level at which are are satisfactory for customers? In Marie's case, you're right to say that she hadn't had the full amount of her claim authorised, but there wasn't, at least as far as I was aware at that point, a kind of a fundamental argument over how much she was entitled to. There was just this process situation where she was waiting for them to resolve one part of the claim so she could move on. What we have heard um, some quite concerning evidence of is examples of, um, of actual valuation disputes. You know, that there have been some really concerning scenarios where insurers offer cash settlements that sound large, you know, like tens of thousands of pounds, but aren't actually adequate for the work that customers need done to their home. So we were told um, by one loss assessor about one case where the customer was offered £60,000 to resolve a flood claim. But once you take into account the related structural damage to the property, the actual money that they needed was actually £250,000. So if an insurer kind of makes makes a cash offer to you and it's not completely clear exactly how that amount, how that sum has been worked out, and you're not completely confident that that will actually be sufficient for your needs, then you should be extremely cautious about it. Well, let's take a break there then. And when we return, we'll be hearing how the industry responded to our findings. Scammers are stealing hundreds of millions of pounds every year. They bombard us with fraudulent texts, emails and calls. And what's more, their tactics are getting increasingly sinister. To keep across the latest scams, sign up to our free Scam Alert service to help you stay ahead of the latest scams and protect yourself. Go to witch.co.uk forward slash scam alert dash newsletter. 
That's witch.co.uk forward slash scam alert dash newsletter. Thank you. This week, we're looking at the home insurance industry, with our research finding complaints from claimants have reached a record high. Dean, how long have complaints been rising for? Is this a continued pattern over the last few years? We don't know precisely how long complaints have been rising, but we do know that they are currently at an all-time high. We spoke to a number of claims experts, and these were mostly loss assessors, and most of these felt that things had taken a turn for the worst in recent years, so like the past few years. However, some told us that this reflected longer term issues. For example, insurers underinvesting in staff and training. I've also heard complaints from customers about the exclusively digital ways that some insurers use to interact with claimants, such as online claims portals. Now, in theory, an online claims portal basically puts everything in one place. It allows customers to track the progress of the claim and it gives the claims handler ready access to all the information they need to to kind of help you out. But if insurers aren't actually being responsive to your queries through the portal, then that mode of interaction doesn't improve things. And in fact, having that there, you know, in, in, in front of you being able to just have a have a discussion over the phone with an informed person. It can actually feel like it makes things worse. Well, let's hear more about what those working in the industry actually have to say on the current situation. Now, I've been speaking to Martin Curran. He's an independent loss assessor. Actually, Dean, before we hear from him, do you mind explaining the difference between a loss assessor and a loss adjuster, please? So loss adjusters are claims experts that work for insurers. So their job is to evaluate claims, determine whether the insurer is liable and provide it with the information it needs to determine how it should proceed. Sometimes they will also make those decisions themselves. Meanwhile, loss assessors are independent claims professionals that customers can hire to advocate for them in a claim. That's really useful. Thank you for clarifying that. Well, Martin, who we're about to hear from, he is a loss assessor. And here's what he has to say about the industry when I spoke to him last week. They're all saying in insurance that claims are the shop window. Well, the shop window is very much in need of a very, very good clean. And it's always been that way. But I think the way things have gone in the 21st century, um, policyholders are very often getting a raw deal um, for various reasons. Um, and obviously the vast majority of the reasons are due to the attitude of the insurance companies and the attitude specifically of their loss adjusters. It, it cannot be stressed enough. They don't seem to get the sort of coverage they should, but they are the people who deal with the claims on behalf of the insurance companies of any size, and they are ruthless. Uh, and um, they will do anything not to pay a claim or pay as little as possible. And they will tell you otherwise that they're independent and they're fair and they do everything fair and by the book. But, you know, I don't think you could even get a quote out of the Chartered Institute of Loss Adjusters, which, again, it's a very secretive service. And it's only when people who've paid their premium religiously, year in, year out, week in, week out, have a claim of any size that they realise what they are facing. You've, of course, been working in this industry for decades now. 
has there been a gradual decline to get to this point? I think it's a great, gradual decline, but again, I'm going back to you know 1984 when I joined the industry um, and I was told by the branch manager for the firm of loss adjusters I worked for in Manchester, we represent insurance companies, we're here to save them money. But in those days, if I went out to see Mr Smith and his house fire, I dealt with it from start to finish. Obviously things were different then, you did everything by post or people actually picked up the phone and talked to people. And you know this, this was even before fax machines. But now with all the technology we've got, it's got worse because if you have a fire or a flood, You'll have a loss adjuster coming around, take a few photographs, make a few notes, ask you questions like, have you any criminal convictions, ever, ever had any county court judgments? Uh, have you had the electrics checked recently? Looking at every possible way to get out of the claim. Then they disappear and then it dis and then you then it's chased the loss adjuster because you don't speak to the same person. It's then handled handed on to someone in, in an office who you've never met. So there's no sort of um, personal sort of dealing with the claim. You're just a number. You, 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 you spend endless times listening to piped music and waiting to get through to someone. Then you get through to someone, oh, I don't know anything about this. I'll have to check the file. You kept holding for however long, sometimes up to half an hour. Then they come back and can't give you an answer. You can't get through to them. They're not customer facing. So you basically, you've no one to complain to. And obviously, if you have had a substantial claim, and I'm not just talking about a lost mobile phone or something, accidental damage to a TV. I'm talking about people who, whose properties are flooded, uh, properties have had substantial fires and they're going to be out of their house for at least six months to a year uh, and that is down to the systems and the way that it is the way the claims are handled and the manner in which that eventually unless a policy holder someone like me or a loss assessor on their side they're going to be battered into submission and eventually they're going to accept any old settlement when you know which is way below what they should be getting. So Dean you've been listening to what Martin told me there what do you make of what you had to say? So I guess I have to I have to first kind of state a caveat, which is that we have to take into account that loss assessors like Martin um, have an, a, a kind of an oppositional role to insurers and loss adjusters. They negotiate with them on customers' behalf. Now we actually did want to balance their views with those of loss adjusters. But unfortunately, um, their trade association wasn't willing to speak with us. And he actually alludes to this um, in, in his comment there. But this all being said, I think what Martin says here about problems in the industry seems to be reflected in the rising numbers of complaints and the poor records of, of claims being paid. He raises a very important point, I think, about the power imbalance between insurers and customers. Insurers and their representatives have distinct advantages over consumers when it comes to negotiating claims. The customer really has to take a lot on faith and is often desperate just to be put back to where they were. And one concern for me about this is where it leaves vulnerable customers. Um, and insurers are supposed to do what they can to identify vulnerable customers and provide appropriate support. This year, the FCA warned that car and home insurers need to improve their processes for doing this. It basically indicated that not, not enough was being done to identify and support vulnerable customers. So Dean, it'd be great if you can take us through, I suppose, what you've heard from the insurers. We've, we've heard Martin's view there, but what did the insurers have to say when you put the findings that we've discussed today to them? 
We spoke to the Association of British Insurers and it told us that insurers appreciate how stressful claims can be when disaster strikes and that they want to process claims quickly and effectively. What it said was that certain challenges beyond insurers' control can impact timings such as repair delays, access to skilled tradespeople and in some cases short supply of alternative accommodation. It also said that clear and timely communication is vital to support customers throughout any claim. And it said that it's working with its members, insurers, to understand where any improvements can be made. We also contacted individual insurers that had fared poorly in the financial ombudsman data. And they pointed out that most of their customers who claim have a satisfactory experience with only a small minority actually complaining. They also spoke about the challenges posed by volatile weather and macroeconomic issues such as supply chain costs and how these have created exceptional strain. Most also said that they monitor ombudsman cases to learn and improve their service. So then to finish, Dean, can we have some advice from you then on what we can all do if we do unfortunately obviously find ourselves in the situation where we need to make a claim? What are the do's and don'ts that can hopefully help ensure that we're successful? So there are a few things that I think are kind of worth trying to increase the chances that your claim will run smoothly. You know, none none of these will definitely ensure that everything will be great. But just as a few kind of bits of advice, one would be keep detailed records of all correspondence with anyone involved. Claims can end up changing hands a lot within the insurer or, or within the you know, loss adjuster firm that you might be dealing with. So having your own independent records can help keep th- things straight. Two, if you're unhappy with a decision or the insurer's standard of service, complain to it in writing. Three, it can also be worth making a subject access request. This is a request for copies of files and information the firm holds about you. This can help if the firm is being opaque and also shows that you're serious. And lastly, if the complaint doesn't resolve matters, you have the option of going to the financial ombudsman. Thank you so much, Dean, for running through those. Really, really appreciate it. And uh, thank you very much for joining us on today's podcast. No problem. Well, a huge thank you to Dean and to Marie and Martin too for all coming on the show today. And to you as well for listening to this week's episode of the Witch Money Podcast. If you've enjoyed today's show, then please do hit subscribe to make sure you catch our new episodes as soon as they drop. And for daily money news and advice, you can find us on social media. We're at Witch Money and we're online at witch.co.uk forward slash money. And we also have a free money newsletter, which is delivered to your inbox every Monday. To sign up, visit witch.co.uk forward slash money newsletter. This episode of the Witch Money podcast was written, produced and presented by me, Rob Lilly, and edited by James Rowe. It's Grace here to tell you all about our new podcast at Witch. It's called Get Answers and you can listen now on whatever platform you like. Me and co-host Harry will be with you every other Monday with episodes dropping each fortnight as we help you solve life's everyday problems. Whether it's getting the most from your weekly shop, finding travel hacks to save on your family holiday or simply learning the tricks that make your everyday life easier. And we'll be joined by the very best experts too. Just search Get Answers and subscribe so that you can catch our episodes as soon as they drop.